Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Well, I'm a Texas boy, so say howdy to me. Really delighted to be here. Do love Bill and this church. I've been privileged to be here many times. Uh, I'm delighted to be here again. I'm about to age out on you, but I'm still here, for which I'm very, very thankful. Uh, Bill's been a friend forever. In fact, uh, he married Freddie and I 64 years ago. I mean, that's a friend you never forget. And so uh, we love Bill and love Cindy and had him preach for us when I was in Odessa and had privilege to be here many times. I'm going to talk to you this morning, a message entitled The Lure of the Hobo. You understand the lure. That's something that attracts you, seems to appeal to you. Hobo is kind of a supposed carefree life. You get away from all the day-by-day problems, all the people depending upon you, all the things that you can't seem to solve, all the deadlines, all the reports, everything that life can pressure us with families and job and everything, just the lure of the hobo. Or I might call it the desire to get away from it all. What I really want to do this morning is encourage you because life is not always easy. And because life is not easy, There are a lot of quitting places, but I'm going to try to show you this morning that the difference between success and failure has to do with how you handle the difficult things in life. And I'm going to begin this morning with some thoughts from a song from my very favorite country singer, Merle Haggard. Are there any Merle fans in the crowd? Say amen. Got a few. Okay. God bless you. That's wisdom on your part. Uh, From his song, it was entitled Working Man Blues. And in this song, I use it because Merle's song speaks of something which hits most of our hearts at some time or another. Here's the way the first verse goes. It's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife. But I've been a working man dang near all my life, so I'll keep on working long as my two hands are fit to use. Then Merle said, I drink a little beer in a tavern and sing a little bit of these working man blues. Now, I'm a Baptist preacher, so I want to tell you, I want you to ignore that drinking beer in a tavern noise that I just dropped on you. Just ignore that. And in his song, talking about his wife and nine kids and working man, he said this, it's on your screen. Sometimes I think about leaving to do a little bumming around. I want to throw my bills out the window and catch a train to another town. But most of us have these moments in lives, we just like to get away from it all. We get discouraged, tired of the same old grind, convinced we're going in circles, and it's just tempting to think of getting away from what we're doing now. And don't think you're the only one that thinks like that. Our hero in the story this morning is Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, one of the great people in the Old Testament of your Bible. 
He was a prophet of God for almost 50 years. This impresses me because, of course, I'm around the Bible a lot. He is the prophet that influenced Daniel, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got Daniel in the lion's den, three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, and also Ezekiel, who wrote a book in the Bible. But when we find Jeremiah today, he is discouraged. It's on your screen. Jeremiah said, oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go away from them. That sounds like Merle. Sometimes I think about leaving. Jeremiah was down in the dumps. He wanted to resign, quit preaching, and in the vernacular of today, go run a little motel in the mountains of Colorado. But that's a temptation that overtakes most of us at some time or the other in our life. There are days we'd like to get lost. Everyone has quitting places. I was a pastor in Odessa for 36 years. Church got to be a really large church and uh, I pastored long enough that I understood the saying I'd heard all my life that Mondays are a kind of a day that pastors want to quit. The message didn't go well. Uh, the crowd is down, the offering's not good, everybody seems to be griping about it. It became a kind of a pastor joke. Uh, it's easy to quit on Monday morning. I had a young preacher just getting started, kind of edged up to me one time, and he said, well, I'll tell you something, Brother Jerry, I have never wanted to quit on Monday morning. Have you? I said, oh, I've only wanted, not only wanted to quit on Monday morning, I wanted to quit on Monday afternoon and Monday evening and Tuesday and every other day in the week. I was, I was shaking hands down the main vestibule aisle of our church and, and I came upon this man, obviously a visitor sitting with his wife who seemed a little silver headed to me. So being, uh, I don't know, I said, we're really glad to have you. Is this your mother with you? You ahead of me? He said, no, this is my wife. Now I challenge any of you to have anything intelligent to say at that moment. <laughs> There's nothing to do but just walk off saying, God, I'm too dumb to pastor a church. I need to go out to Colorado and run a motel with Jeremiah. But thankfully folks, success in life doesn't depend on being perfect. Sometimes success depends on how you handle discouragement how you deal with the desire to get away from it all, how you deal with the lure of the hobo. I wonder how many people have missed God's best for their life because they got discouraged, because it was getting a little difficult, so they quit and ran away in time of trouble. So I'm going to talk to you three points this morning. I'm going to talk to you first about dreams, then we're going to talk about disappointments, and then we're going to talk about determination. Let's first talk about dreams. Jeremiah began with an incredible touch of God on his life. Here's the verse. I just want you to get, I mean, if, if God says something like, to you, like this to you, it's really pretty heady stuff. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. Hmm. 
I'm not the pastor of this church. I'm not in politics. But what God said to Jeremiah was before you ever were conceived, I knew you. And before you were born of the womb, I knew you. And all of us, I guess, of a certain age have to struggle with this idea of the worth of that little one developing in the womb. If it was true of Jeremiah that God knew him, had a plan for his life, is it true for all of us? Just something to think about. It's pretty heady stuff when God said, before you were ever conceived, I knew you, I got a plan for your life. That will give you big dreams. I think most of us begin our life with big dreams. We will have wonderful school years. We'll have a great marriage. We'll never have an argument. We'll have an eternal honeymoon. We'll get a fulfilling job that pays well and gives us opportunity to live well and travel constantly. We dream our parents will always be with us. Our health will always be good. Our children will turn out perfect. Quitting is never in our early vocabularies. But life doesn't always turn out the way we plan. And Jeremiah's dreams had not come to pass the way he thought they would. And when your dreams are not realized the way we thought, there is my second thought, which is disappointments. Life doesn't always turn out the way we dream. Which of us really dream when we were coming through our school years that maybe we would have a far too early marriage or four kids in five years or a divorce or a fatal or crippling accident? or an economic slowdown that cost us so much. And the list can be quite long, and those things can devastate your dreams. When he was president of these United States, Jimmy Carter said, life is not fair. And he's right, life is not fair. And there are several things that trouble Jeremiah that trouble most of us. First of all, the job did, has not really turned out the way he wanted. It's not exactly what he wanted to do, and I'll tell you why. Now, many people look eagerly for what God gives them to do with their life. Isaiah did, if you're familiar with Isaiah, the great man in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. In chapter six, God is saying, who will go for us? Who will represent me? And Isaiah said, here am I. Whoa, pick me, God, I will go for you. And when Jesus began his ministry, remember Peter and Andrew, the fishermen who were washing their nets and, G and Jesus had them shove out and preach for a, a message from the boat. And then he said to these brothers, if you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible said they straightway left their nets and followed him. But everybody didn't feel that way. The children of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and it was a terrible life. And God reached down and touched a man named Moses. And he said to Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and I'm gonna let you bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's not what he wanted to do. And Jeremiah didn't either. Here's the verse on your screen. Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. 
Jeremiah said, that job is too big for me. I don't think I can do that. And I relate to that. I grew up going to church and I went up and joined the church when I was a little guy and was baptized. But then I lived all my junior high and high school years and started the first year of college. And I went through the motions. I knew all the words to all the songs. I knew when to stand up and when to sit down. But Jesus Christ wasn't a reality to me. And I didn't have peace in my heart. I'm 18 years old, a college freshman. When in a service like this, I walked down to the front and got on my knees. And I told a holy God that I was not a holy person. And I asked him if he had come into my life and changed me and saved me. I can't explain to you what happened. It's not mystical, but it's what Jesus Christ did for Jerry Thorpe. That night, my whole world changed. I changed, my whole world changed. I was here, now I'm here, and the difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was in January. I'm 18 years old. In March of that year, for the first time in my life, I began to feel something inside of me like God was calling me to preach. And I was saying, no, 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 God, uh, you're talking to the wrong cat. Because I knew if I were God, I would not be taught somebody like me to preach. I had no gifts. I had nothing to do in high school, in my studies, in anything. In high school, it was people like me who made the top half of the class possible. I didn't have anything together in my life. And God is saying, I want you to preach. Huh. That's the way Jeremiah was. Sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. He knew it was not what he was good at. And he knew his audience that God was sending to the nation of Israel were set in their dead, formal, heartless religion and the worshiping of idols. And God was so angry about the way they had treated him. And he knew because of their wicked ways, they were not going to listen to his warnings. But God said, I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to represent me. That is your job. It's not what he wanted to do, but it was what he was doing. That's sometimes true in our lives. Second thing, Jeremiah was not only not having the job he wanted, he was tired of unreasonable people. Jeremiah was a good man. If you read the 50 some odd chapters in the book of Jeremiah, He's called the weeping prophet. He described his congregation as traitors, slanderers, compromisers, and he was right. One of the greatest burdens in life is dealing with unreasonable people. The apostle Paul prayed to be delivered from unreasonable men, nitpickers, small-minded, cantankerous. When Freddie and I were first married and, and I had surrendered my life to preach and had my education. I'd been working with my dad as a youth director for a while, but inside I felt like I, I wanted to get out on my own and see what I was really made of. So I heard of a little church in El Paso, Texas, near Bel Air High School, that was looking for a pastor. So I said, I, I would like to come. I'm 25 years old. I'd like to come and try out. And so I'd, I preached. 
There were 40 people there the morning I preached to that church. They had a $9 offering. It was an unpainted cinder block building. They, the seats had been thrown away by the Esleta school system and salvaged for the church. They had no Sunday school. They had no music. They had nothing on earth going on. So I preached. They said, we will pay you $15 a week. $15. I'm married. I got a child and went on the way. There's rent to be paid and gasoline to be bought and stuff. But it's like God said, I want you to go. So I went and took those 40 people and I just went to work. I got a group of people to sign on a note at the bank and we got enough to paint the building where it's just not an unpainted cinder block building. And we cleaned it up and straightened it up. And, and I didn't have a secretary, I didn't have a custodian, I was both of those things. And I just started knocking doors up and down the street of El Paso and saying, listen, I'm a new pastor at Bel Air Baptist Church. I hope you'll come. And people begin to come. And people begin to get saved. And the church began to grow. And man, I was so happy with what was going on. We set a goal for 75. We had 75. We set a goal for 100. And we had 100 and we were rejoicing. We thought we were the biggest church in America. We had 100 people there that morning. And after one of those services, an old boy walked up to me and put his finger in my nose and said, you know what's wrong with you? And I said, yeah, probably not, but I think you're fixing to tell me what's wrong with me. And he said, you're right. What's wrong with me, you is, you preach too much evangelism. You don't feed the sheep. Well, I was working as hard as I could work, and God was blessing and somebody said, this is what's wrong with you. He cut the legs right out from under me. A guy told me later, about 30 days later, another preacher friend, I was telling him about this, and he said, you, you should have told him, you can't feed a dead sheep, all you can do is skin it. Somebody's already telling me 30 days later what I should have said, you know, back when that happened. But unreasonable people will wear you down but they are a part of life. It seems like we're living in such a contentious society now where people are at each other's throats and it's just vocal and loud. Uh, I, I had Freddie at a doctor in, in Fort Worth and while we were in the room, I heard a guy outside the room just to top his voice screaming, Give me all my records. This is the worst doctor in the world. And I'm and just on and on, just so rude and crude. And when we came back out, that little girl that was the manager, sweet lady, and I said, do you deal with this all the time? And she just shook her head and said, people are so rude. Unreasonable. Freddie and I wanted to see the ark in Kentucky, so we drove up there. And coming back through, we spent a couple nights in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And we ate at a little restaurant called The Breakfast. And it's a great little restaurant. But on the front door, they had a sign. I've never seen this. Please be nice to our waitresses. They're doing the best they can. Wow. My son, Alan, is a head girls basketball coach in Granbury, Texas. I know teachers get more criticism and 
Sometimes parents are hovering way too close. It's hard to do their job the way they want to. And my son is a great, clean living church. He's a good, good kid. He is mine. And he's a great coach. And he loves the girls on the team. And the girls love him. And, and they work hard and they're successful. But man, sometimes he gets a parent that just makes his life almost miserable. I mean, their daughter, this is basketball, their daughter could be four feet tall, weigh 230 pounds, couldn't run out of sight in a week, and think you dribble a basketball with your head, but her parents think she's LeBron James's little sister, and the only reason he doesn't win state is because he didn't play their daughter. And they could just make his life miserable, unreasonably so. Alan asked me one day, he said, Dad, you know the greatest place to coach? And I said, eh, probably not. He said, an orphanage. <laughs> I was a pastor for 36 years. Our church became the largest church, attended church in the city. And at a church like that, there's always somebody ticked about something. There's always somebody griping, complaining about my leadership. And, there's always, and I knew who all the mad people were in the church. There are people that are just mad. You don't know what they're mad about. You just know they're mad. They're the kind of people after church, you're shaking hands and you see them walking towards you. You don't know what they're mad about, but you know they're not bringing good tidings of great joy and they're walking towards you. And I saw them coming and I'd start praying for the rapture. God, get me out of here before they get here. Just unreasonable people. Well, I had a man in the church, God bless him. He was doctor of the biggest chiropractic place and He's kind of a rancher and rode horses and a cowboy type, big guy, great guy, good looking guy. If you went to his chiropractic office, there was a full cutout picture of John Wayne in there. That'll let you know what kind of a guy he was. But he loved his preacher. And he'd come up on Sunday mornings and say, anybody bothering you, preacher? <laughs> One Sunday morning, he walked up for service and he said, you need anybody kilt? He said, you know I'm packing. I said, yeah, doc, I know you're packing. I don't need anybody killed. And he didn't intend to kill anybody, but you know what? He loved his preacher and he knew life wasn't always rosy. And he just put an arm around me and say, anybody bothering you, I'll help. Your pastor needs that. You run an organization this large, now and then, you need to put your arms around him and say, Bill, I love you, man. Anybody bothering you? I'm on your side, unreasonable people. And third, Jeremiah just wanted to get away from trouble. It's not the job he wanted. He was dealing with people who would not listen to him in spite of the danger of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians that he was preaching was going to come against them, which they did exactly like he preached, but nobody was listening. And Jeremiah just, for almost 40 years he had been preaching I just wanted to get away from trouble. It's not easy and fun to have a congregation turn on you and shun you. On your screen, alas, my mother, he said, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I read through Jeremiah again. Let me get, I just made a list of what Jeremiah went through. The whole nation of Israel treated him like it was a joke. He was preaching God's message and they ignored him. Jeremiah hired a scribe and he transcribed his message 
and gave them to the king and the king read them a, a, a page, whatever they had at that time and threw them in the fire. Jeremiah was stoned with stones. Don't, not stoned, what you're thinking today. <laughs> stoned with stones in his hometown. He was arrested for vagrancy. They humiliated him by placing him in the stocks and leaving him in the downtown areas. He was whipped. He was in and out of jails. And one time they just threw him down in a filthy abandoned cistern. Here's a man that had done his best to represent God well. He had warned Israel night and day of coming judgment, but it was all unheeded. His messages were ignored. His ministry appeared fruitless. His life seemed useless. No one followed Jeremiah. Here's a verse that's sad. I never sat in the company of revelers where people are having a good time and fun, maybe a party. I never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was upon me and you had filled me with indignation. To sum up, Jeremiah felt he was a failure. He felt he was going in circles. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like maybe the lure of the hobo looks pretty good to you? Well, I'm encouraging you to stay in what you think is a tough situation. So we'll come to my last point, which is determination. You see, folks, life is filled with quitting places. You can quit on your marriage. You can quit on your job. You can quit on your family. You can quit on your church. You can quit on Jesus. Life's filled with quitting places. When I was pastoring in Odessa, I was chaplain of the Odessa Permian football team. That's mojo for you that have been around long enough. In all the 70s and all the 80s and the first half of the 90s, they were the winningest football team program in the state of Texas. And I talked to them many, many times on Thursday night before their games on Friday. And I always had, no matter where my theme was, I always came down to this closing thought. In this game, it may be tied, it may be close, it's the last of the game. And you're exhausted. You've given everything you think you have but the game is there to be won or lost. That game will be won or lost depending on how you do. There are those who quit when it gets rough. There are those who fight harder. We had a college coach from Texas Tech, uh, that coach at Texas Tech speak for one of our banquets and he told the greatest story. He said one of his games there in the fourth quarter and the game's tied but his team's marching down the field it's about middle of the last quarter. And all of a sudden, one of his very best players, a tackle, staggered over to the side. He had his helmet off. His hair was plastered to his head with sweat. His eyes were glazed with fatigue. He had a trickle of blood running down one side of his mouth. And he said, coach, you got to get me out of there. They're beating the devil out of me. Coach said, I, I, I had to have him. He's the best player on the line I had. He said, I grabbed him by the shoulder pads and I shook him. And I said, son, listen to me. We've got a chance to win this game. Do you hear me? We can win this game. I need you. Now I want you to think positive. Do you hear me, son? Think positive. And his kid said, 
Coach, I'm positive they're beating the devil out of me. You gotta get me out of there. Well, sometimes in life, you're just positive they're beating the devil out of you. What do you do? Let's go back to Merle. Merle said, sometimes I think about leaving, do a little bumming around. I wanna throw my bills out the window and catch a train to another town. But what do you do, Merle? Did you catch a train? Look at the next line, no. But I go back working. Why? I gotta buy my kids a brand new pair of shoes. Somebody's depending on me. It's a sense of duty, responsibility. Someone is depending upon me. My wife, my husband, my children, my family, my job, my church, my neighborhood, my pastor. God, Jesus. You see, folks, the words I must are found in the vocabulary of men and women who are moral giants, not weaklings. They do great things not because they like to, but because they must. Successful people are people who have plugged their ears to the whimpering of ease and laziness and shallowness and indifference. These are people who will not quit. Winners are not people who never lose. When I was a kid growing up, I've always been a big sports fan. And I used to think big sports heroes. I mean, I go back to Doak Walker and Kyle Rote and some of those guys way back. I read about them in the paper and I just followed them and I was impressed by them. I thought in those days that winners were people who never lost. And that's easy to be a winner because you never lose. I was wrong. Winners are not people who never lose. They're people who never quit. Winners are people who keep getting up when life knocks them down. Haywood Hale Brun on CBS Sports said one time, winners are people who take their defeats, slam them to the ground, step on them, and rise above them. Jeremiah said, I'd like to go run a motel out in Colorado, but he had a sense of duty. And he knew he was right because his life was based on God's word. Now sink that in because I'm thinking a whole lot of you have your life based and your future based and your family based on God's word. As a parent, when you're trying to get that teenager to go the right way and, and, the, and your decisions are based on God's word, have they ever said to you, come on dad, come on mom, you're the only parent who thinks like that. All of my other friends let them do this. Is your life based on God's word? As a married person, is somebody in your life who's single or divorced or something always telling you, hey man, you're missing it tied down in this marriage. I'm having so much fun. Really? Do you ever have a stack of bills and the tithe is due? You can get discouraged because life is not easy. And the lure of the hobo is always there. So why don't you quit? Jeremiah tried to. Read this, follow along in this verse. The word of the Lord brought me insult and reproach. But if I say, I will not mention him, 
I will not speak anymore in his name. Man, this is such rich stuff. Jeremiah said, I want to quit. But when I say I'm not, I'm, I'm going to quit, I'm not going to mention him. I'm, I'm not going to speak in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot, I cannot quit. Uh, here's a picture of a brochure on your screen. I pastored that church in Odessa 36 years. And they, when I had my retirement Sunday, they made a beautiful retirement brochure. And if you read it at the top, it says success is a long obedience in the same direction. That's a Friedrich Nietzsche quote, who was a German philosopher, also an atheist. Most of his stuff ain't buying. One time he read, the only way to accomplish anything ultimately is a long obedience in the same direction. And I pound that at in our church. You want to have a great marriage? It's not always up and happy and no. Sometimes it's a long obedience in the same direction. Raising your kids sometimes a long obedience. Being true to the church in Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. And this. Jeremiah didn't quit because God had made Jeremiah a promise. Now read this. God said today, this is God speaking, not Jeremiah. I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. Now the next five words, for I am with you. That's the same promise God made you as a believer. I will rescue you, saith the Lord. I am with you. So I, I might sum this up by saying and begging you, don't ever lose your dream. When Joseph was 17 years old, there are 12 of those boys. And he was one of the youngest, second to the youngest. And he was his daddy's favorite. And his dad made some mistakes. He made him a coat of many colors. You know the story. And, and he just pampered him. And his brothers hated him because his dad loved him more than them, seemingly. And you remember Joseph, when he was 17 years old, had a dream. How does this make sense to a 17-year-old kid? Sheaves bowed down to him. Sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. But it was a statement from God to this boy that if you not lose your dream, one of these days I'm going to put you in a position where people will bow down to you. What, do you know the story? His brothers hated him so much they sold him to a group of Midianite slave traders who took him to Egypt and sold him to somebody who's going to sell him as a slave. And in that deal, they stripped you naked and stood you before the leering eyes of people. And he was purchased at a slave auction by a guy named Potiphar, who was the head of King Pharaoh's Secret Service, FBI, and CIA in one man. And he put him to work probably in the stables. But he was so good and so clean and so smart that all of a sudden he rose, he's running the whole estate of Potiphar. 
And then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And he said, I will not do this wickedness and sin against God. And he ran and she lied and they threw him in prison. Hey, Joseph, where's your dreams? I don't know. That's in God's hands. Hey, Joseph, you still trust in God? Yes, I do. And one day, Potiphar, King Pharaoh had a dream. He couldn't interpret it. And somebody that had been in prison with Joseph and Joseph interpreted a dream for him said, there is this young Hebrew boy in the prison who can interpret dreams. And all of a sudden, they give him a quick bath and a shave, and he's standing before the biggest man in the whole world at that time, Pharaoh of Egypt. And he interpreted Pharaoh's dream of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And on that day, Pharaoh made him prime minister of Egypt. And for the rest of his life, for the next 80 years, as prime minister, he rode in a chariot. And when he went down the streets, people bowed down to him, just like God said. Now, I want to ask you a question. If when his brothers threw him in a pit and wanted to kill him and then sold him to slave traders and he's bouncing on the back of a slave wagon chained, it'd been a good place to say, yeah, so much for my dreams, so much for God in this. Uh, what when he's standing naked on a slave deal being bought, if he said, what kind of a God would let this happen to me? When he was thrown in prison, what, what kind of a God would let me go through this? I'll tell you the kind of God, the kind of God that says, for I will be with you. Let me ask you a question. Would his dream ever been realized if he got mad at God and quit on God when his brother sold him? If he got mad and quit on God when he was at a slave auction, if he'd been mad and quit on God when Potiphar's wife lied, if he got mad and quit on God when he was thrown in the prison, if he'd have got mad, would he still have been prime minister? You see, don't lose your dream. Success in life doesn't depend on you being perfect. Success in life depends on how you handle discouragement. I've I got one more story. This young guy graduated from college as an engineer, and he went to work for the TVA. Were you listening in history in school when your teacher told you about the Tennessee Valley Authority who built the dams and changed the economic picture of the South? He went to work for TVA and was signed to a, a, a dam that was just coming up. A little bit of water gathered already, broad expanse that they'd cleared for the lake. Kids being shown around. And he said, wait a minute, there's a house out there. Just a little house, there's a house. The guy said, yeah, I know. It was obviously a very old house, it was made of logs. It was obviously occupied, smoke was coming out the chimney. The kid said, why is that house out there? He said, because in that house there's a stubborn, bullheaded old man who refuses to move. What? Who's talked to him? Everyone's talked to him. I've talked to him. He's just a stubborn, bullheaded old man. So when he, he got through looking around, the kid had always loved his grandparents. He decided, I want, to go, oh, I want to go meet him. So he knocked on the door, and he heard the shuffling of steps. 
and the door opened and he was a very old man with a long white beard and a long white hair and little glasses on the end of his nose and he invited him in and they sat on two cane bottom chairs in front of that fire that was burning in the fireplace and they talked a while and they liked each other and then the kid said, sir, I'm just out of college, I don't know much. But I know this is where the bottom of the lake's gonna be. And you know this is gonna be the bottom of the lake. And you've got a nice house, but the government will build you a brand new house. And you've got nice property, but the government will give you better property. I don't understand, sir. Why won't you move? And the old man sat for a moment, and then a tear slowly came down out of one eye and got lost in his beard. And he said, son, do you see that fire? Yes, sir. He said, my grandfather built that fire and it's never gone out. My grandfather kept that fire burning every day of his life and my daddy, I was raised in this house, my daddy kept that fire burning every day of his life and I'm an old man but I've kept that fire burning every day of my life and I will not move and put out that fire. Do you know what they did? They came in and just jacked that whole house up and moved it with the fire still burning because somebody said, I will not let that fire go out. That's the point of my preaching to you this morning. I want you to have dreams. I want you to have a message from God. I want you to know God said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. I want you to have dreams in your life. I want you never to give in to the lure of the hobo. I want you to do the things that God has given you to do. And one day when you stand in his presence, you'll be so glad you didn't lose your dreams. Thank you for letting an old man preach to you this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.